uh, have uh, some time available to just invest in your life. How many of you know you need to invest in your life? And uh, I just really want to encourage you uh, to invest in God's Word. The great thing about internship is that it's not just about uh, sitting in a room and, and just hearing the Word of God. We practically activate you through different ministries. So uh, if you'd like to do that, I think a couple have already. There's quite a few that have already uh, responded to that. Please see Greg Murray. That would be fantastic. So are you well? Are you doing well? Only nobody's doing well. Who's doing well? I'm just going to shift this. Fantastic. It's really good to be here. The last couple of weeks we've been uh, in Victory Church in Bendigo and just seeing God do some fantastic things there. And uh, we're just so thankful that the church is settled and uh, uh, that we're seeing just leadership uh, being put in the right positions for God to do some great things. Uh, this Sunday, the, today at four o'clock, we've got a wedding on and there's quite a few people preparing for that. And uh, I know it's going to be a great day as we take that wedding. I'm very excited. Uh, Michael and Erin, uh, Michael Jones. Erin uh, actually got saved in this church. Isn't that great? Uh, if you're single and you don't have your partner here, we can pray them in for you. So how many of you believe that? We can and we can. we are committed to doing that. On Tuesday night, my wife and I went to Closer, uh, the marriage relationship seminar. And, uh, you know, my wife learned a real lot. She really did. It was amazing. She came home. She said, you know, you're perfect. I said, oh, look, what can I say? And uh, it was fantastic. I loved it. Um, I'm only joking. Do you know that, don't you? How many of you know that I am perfect? Put your hand up. Yeah, two people. But it was, it was really, really great. And you know, it, it is quite confronting. Somebody said to me, they said, what are you guys doing here? Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean we don't need to invest in our marriage. And, uh, you know, it was confronting in the sense that I thought to myself, gee, I wish I'd learned some of those lessons, some of these principles way early in the marriage. I think it would have helped Meredith a lot. Uh, no, I mean that. It would have helped her because I would have been working on my own issues. Uh, and I was surprised, I thought to myself, the four things that we talked about, I'm not going to tell you what they are, I thought, gee, I've, I've had all those. And uh, it, it was confronting. And I just want to encourage, what I felt in my heart is, uh, I just want, I'd love for all our young adults to do the course. So I don't know how we're going to make that happen. Um, I can give vision because I'm the visionary leader. My only, my only, I guess, uh, disappointment was that most of the people that were there, uh, you know, must probably been married over 25 years. And I'd like us to run the course, if we can, sometime next year for our young adults, uh, because I want to invest in them. I mean, you know, we need to invest in our marriages. And just some of the stuff was so, it was simple but profound. And, and I thought it's really, really important that we do that. Also today... Uh, there's a bookstore that we've set up. It's one of those uh, pop-up ones. Uh, very quickly, there's some of my wife's book. There's some marriage books there. Um, you know, there's some really great books on the subject of marriage um, and other books. And the proceeds, 50% of them go to our children's ministry. So, you know, there's Christmas coming up and things like that. And uh, we'd like to really encourage you to do that. I always like when my wife's involved to give uh, one of the books away because... She's written 17 books, as you know, 
and uh, 16 of them are romantic fiction, which comes out of the fact that she's married with me, to me. And there's such a, you know, there's so much love that it comes out of her heart and it goes in writing. So if you need a, who needs a stronger marriage? Who, who needs their husband to be more romantic? Put your hand, put your hand down, you. Who needs that? Right, could you come, won't you come up here and grab this? Is that all right? Come up here. No, you don't want to come. Who wants the, who wants the book? You do. Here we go. Amy. He is very romantic, but this is going to help him. This is going to help him. The last book Meredith wrote is a, um, it's a murder mystery. So I'm not really sure what's happening in the relationship, but uh, I'm a little bit worried, you know, I, you know. I always say to her, you go to sleep first. She goes, you go to sleep first. (laughs) So I don't know quite what's going on in her head, but right, okay. Just want to encourage you next week with Vicki Simpson. Let me just say this, right? She's a very, very accurate prophetic ministry. It's really hard, um, you know, in your own church to prophesy over people because you know them. And that's why it's good to bring uh, someone who, who has no connection with people because you know that they hear from God. And uh, and I, I think she's one of the most accurate prophets I've seen. She's going to be speaking into the life of the church, what she senses about the church, but she also ministers to individuals. And I've seen her pull out unchurched people and then give their life to Jesus Christ. So please, you know, when we bring speakers through, and we really should do this every Sunday, you know, Take the opportunity to invite unchurched people because do you know what? You will be surprised. People today are looking to the supernatural. Listen, just look at the media. Uh, there's enough in the media. People are going to, to you know, they, they read tarot cards, they look up the stars, they try, they want to find out about their future. They want to find out how do you solve problems. How do you know the best place to go is to Jesus Christ, to hear from him? So you know, this is a great opportunity for you to bring those people. I think it'd be absolutely fantastic. All right. Hey, April, I think you did a fantastic job. I want you to give her a big, big hand. I know you don't like coming up here. Charles has seemed to have got the, you know, the, 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 the what do you call it? The gift for being up here. And you feel like sometimes you struggle. But I want to tell you something. I, I just saw, I've just seen something. In the last couple of weeks, just just you need to get used to it, because I believe God's going to actually bring you up here a lot more than what you'd like. Um, and you know, you're an amazing person. I, I just, you know, sometimes we see, uh, you know, the guys up here, the husbands, and I, and I thank God. I thank God for Charles. I thank God for Greg. Uh, but you know, our wives are absolutely amazing. We could not do what we're doing today if it wasn't. For our wives. And I'd like April to stand. I'd like Meredith to stand. I'd like Sue to stand. Would you do that? I know, Sue, your foot's still a bit aching there. Uh, and I'd like you to give these ladies a big, big hand. They do an amazing job. Thank you. And uh, I think you're absolutely fantastic. Thank you for what will you do behind the scenes. And God has gifted you in those things. You know, I just felt this morning, just before I started, I just want to encourage a few people. Uh, John and Joe, just to see your daughter up here today. Uh, that's just uh, what you've sown into her life. You guys travel about an hour and 20 minutes on a Sunday to be here. I know what it's like now. I'm starting to understand. Going to Bendigo, 
two hours there, two hours back. So thank you so much for your faithfulness to what God is doing here. And thank you so much for Cliff and Marie. Uh, I know you travel about an hour and 20. Uh, you do that on a Wednesday night to come here to practice. And I've already seen uh, just the music ministry and the worship ministry just flourish. I'd like you to stand. Would you do that for me? Not everybody knows you. Turn around for me. I want you to give this couple a really big hand. Thank you for everything you do. I think you're fantastic. Thank you. God bless you. And you know, God is doing some great things in the church, and I'm really aware of that. I also, today, and I know we've done this a few weeks in a row, but you know, it's, it's great to, um, to see Jade and Damien here, and you know, just your faith. Uh, that's grown over the last, you know, seven to eight weeks. And, and we went out last week. Uh, we went to see Chris. We had lunch together. And I, what, I, what I loved about Damien was Damien says to me, he goes, so how actually do you become a Christian? And, uh, and I was amazed at some of his questions. And, and I thank God that uh, he's given his life to Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? And to, also, to both of you, to your whole family, um, you know, I just want to commend you. For just really pushing through and believing what God has for you. Well, today um, I want to continue to talk about. I know the guys are doing a series at the moment because we're preparing for Christmas, and we've been doing a series because we we don't want to take away the essence of what Christmas is really all about. It's about the love of a Father who sent His only Son Jesus to be born in a very vulnerable way, to be born as a baby. I, I wouldn't have come like that, and I wouldn't have been born in a, in a stable. That's like going camping for me, you know what I mean? I just, Charles has, Charles has just bought a camper. And I thought to myself, why? Why? So if I'd been Jesus, I definitely would not have come and been born in a stable. host of angels, but he came as a baby, vulnerable. He came to live so he could die for us. And we don't want to take away the, the emphasis and the truth of what Christmas is about. Uh, I don't know what you think of Donald Trump, and I don't know what you think about politics, but one thing I liked about what he said was to put Christmas back into the Christmas season. And, you know, we are here as the representatives of Christ and I'm so glad that we're doing this series. But I've asked the guys, I've said, look, because I'm only here, you know, every second or third week, I'd like to continue about our theme on faith. Is that okay? So this morning, I want to just talk about faith. A couple of weeks ago when I was here, I talked about anchoring your faith. I believe it's the theme that God has given us for 2017. And um, the reason I believe that God has given me this theme, and I want to, we want to keep we want it to be the undergirding theme of 2017. Many people have been battered in their faith. Uh, many people have gone through tremendous things and, and sometimes they've wavered in their faith. And I believe that God wants us to build a community that is faith-filled in Jesus Christ, that we can see miracles happen. I don't believe we've seen 
what I believe God wants to do through this church. I don't believe we're the only church, but I do believe that God has given us a mandate to not just see people restored emotionally, but to see them restored physically, to see them, to see miracles happen, to see people that can't have children have children. Do you know, in Bendigo last week, I was talking about anchoring your faith, and I talked about the fact that God can do the impossible. And I said, you know what? Sometimes we limit God through our own experiences. And I just gave this example. I said, you know, I have seen in my ministry life that two couples that had actually divorced, uh, divorced and actually God bring them back through His grace. How many of you know that's nearly an impossibility? And little did I know that on Sunday there was a couple there, that's exactly what had happened. They came up to me, Ruth, he said, I felt like jumping out of my seat because God restored our marriage. You know, we serve, come on, let's, let's give God praise for that. We serve an amazing God. And I've seen miracle after miracle after miracle. And I don't want us to be a church that limits God, that that brings God to the lowest common denominator of our experience. But I want us to be a faith-filled church, knowing full well that our feet are on that ground, but our hearts are connected to God, and that as we put our trust and our faith in Him, He is able to do amazing things. So today I want to talk about how to kill a giant, how to kill a giant giant. Thank you, Dan, for playing. What a great young man. Isn't he a fantastic young man? Thank you for your faithfulness. And I just love uh, seeing, you know, what God has done. And and there's some great people in this church. I I believe God's going to bring many more. I believe the day is going to come when we're going to have multiple services. We need to get ready for that. We need to get ready for how that looks. But, you know, In my heart, I don't want to, like I said, limit God, and I don't want us to uh, become comfortable. Is that okay? I want us to grab a hold of everything that God has for us. So today's message is on how to kill a giant. And I want to take the text is out of 1 Samuel chapter 17. And I'm not going to read a particular verse because it's actually the whole chapter that I'm going to talk about. I'm not going to read it because it's such a long a chapter. I believe that God wants us to build our faith. And so this is why I want to talk about how to kill a giant. The challenges to your faith. There are challenges to your faith. In this chapter, we find, uh, if I can have the next slide, this, this, this is the story, or in this particular chapter, it's a story of David, King David, killing the Philistine giant Goliath. When I was a little boy, I think it was seven or eight years old, my mother gave me, she was a Sunday school teacher. Uh, it's really funny because in Bendigo, I had one of the girls that um, did Sunday school with my mother in the Bendigo church. She came rushing up to me and she goes, your mother was my Sunday school teacher. And I said, do you want me to pray for you so you can be? And she goes, no, she was awesome. That's another joke. And anyway, so, so what happened is, is that she gave me this, this Bible, this picture Bible, and at the age of seven or eight, I remember devouring it. I loved it. But there's two stories that really stood out to me. The first one was the story of Joseph. And I think it impacted me because of the things that he went through. And I remember as I was getting older, the stories became more relevant to me and more profound. And still to this day, the story of Joseph keeps me in a place 
that I know that, you know, sometimes we go through challenges, sometimes we go through trials, but God has got his purpose in mind. And, and that really impacted my life. The next story was the story of Goliath, because I always love the story of an underdog. Do you know, I was, uh, I, I love Rocky movies. Um, anyway, I won't go there. I love Rocky movies, because it's the underdog. And this story is about the underdog, the 17-year-old young kid um, who really took on this Philistine giant who was the, the champion of the Philistines. And, um, you know, the giants, giants actually represent in our lives, whenever we read about giants in the Bible, they represent the challenges of life. They represent problems and obstacles and impossibilities. And every one of us today, we find ourselves in places where there's challenges and, and there's problems and there's obstacles and some things seem impossible. I know in our lives and with, with Merrick and I, there's some challenges uh, that we are in at the moment. There's some things that look impossible. But how many of you know that God is the God of the possible? I don't put my faith in my own strength. I don't put my faith in my own talent, but I put my faith in in God. And giants are there because they're there to intimidate you with fear. They are there, their whole job, particularly, you know, when you see physical giants, as the Bible talks about, we don't face literally physical giants in the form of men, but we do face spiritual things that sometimes come against us. But these giants would bring great fear and they stop us, please hear what I'm about to say, they stop us from entering and accessing God's promises and his purpose. The whole reason that fear comes and, you know, the enemy uses giants is to intimidate you so you will not enter, step into the promises and the purposes of God. Do you know that you were called when God created you? He created you with a purpose. He created you with his call. And the devil hates that. He wants to keep you in a place, in a confined place. He wants to keep you in a restricted place so you will not fulfill the purpose of God. And this is what I've found, and I, I've, I've had a whole different perspective uh, about giants. God actually allows giants to invade your life. God allows problems to come. God, they don't come from him, but he allows them to come into your life so that we will be drawn to him and depend on him because he wants us to be overcomers. How many of you know that? God actually allows these giants to come, not because he wants you to be overwhelmed, because when they do come, you do get overwhelmed, but because he wants you, he wants to teach you how to be an overcomer. You know, there's some things that God will deliver you from. But there's many things that he doesn't because he wants you to overcome them. There's a big difference. I won't go into that. All of us sometimes cry out. We go, God, deliver us. But there are some things, there are some giants that God wants you to kill. There's some things that God wants you to overcome in. But, you know, the enemy, he has a strategy. He has a plan. Giants want you to retreat. They want you to react in fear. 
They want you to surrender. They want you to give up. They want you to be defeated. They wanted you to be discouraged and depressed. And this story is about the 17-year-old kid who took on this giant, Goliath, who would stand up. He was a Philistine. The Philistine army were great tactician people. They had great strategies. Whenever you read about the Philistines, you need to know that they were brilliant at warfare. Actually, they would be so intimidating that many times they would win battles without a sword even being drawn. That's why they were great in their strategies. They had great strategies in enticing an enemy into fear. And so this story is about this giant called Goliath. And for 40 days and for 40 nights, he stood with the army, the Philistine army. He would come up on this particular hill and he would take on and he would begin to speak and he would begin to terrify the armies of God, the Israelites. And the Bible says that they were so intimidated that many of them would run. This was their strategy. Do you know the devil has a strategy against your life? Did you know that the Bible says this? It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, it says, For we should not be unaware of the schemes of the devil. Did you know the devil has schemes and plans against your life? In Hebrews, sorry, Ephesians 6, it says this, Why should you put on the full armor of God? We need to put on the full armor of God, listen to this, so that you can take your stand, your stand, against the devil's schemes. The devil has a personal profile on your life. The devil's got a personal profile on this church. The devil has got schemes and plans to keep you restricted and keep us in a place of weakness and and not being effective because he wants to neutralize you. He wants to take you out. He has got, he's like a sports psychologist. You know, great sporting coaches, you know what they do? They study the other team. They study the other team. They show, you know, reruns of videos of certain plays because they want to find the weakness so that they can win the battle. The devil has a personal profile on you. He knows my weaknesses. He knows my vulnerabilities. He knows my Achilles heel. He knows yours. And he is great at finding that weakness and exposing it. You want to know something? That the devil has a plan against this church. He knows its profile. He knows what it's called to do. The devil has a plan against our city. The devil has a plan against our nations. But I want to tell you something, that God has a higher plan. He's got a higher calling. God's got a higher calling for my life and for your life. You weren't born just so you can, you know, just enjoy life. You were called with a purpose. God enabled you. He's given you his anointing, the Holy Spirit, to enable you to fulfill the purpose of God through his presence and attain his purpose for your life. That's what the anointing is. That's why you were given the anointing. The anointing of God, the Spirit of God, you are empowered so you can fulfill the purpose of God. April, you've got that anointing. The enemy would come sometimes and he would say, you can't do this and you can't do that. But when you realize the power of God, God's got a greater plan. 
But the enemy has got this strategy. One of his strategies, let me just very quickly, he wants you to focus on yourself and your own circumstances. It's called navel-gazing. And we're good at it. And he knows it. Because whenever you go through a problem, it's okay, I can, I'm just nervous that if I trip, could you catch me? Um, whenever I go through a problem, whenever I go through a situation, I tend to go inward. And he, he, one of his strategies is he wants us to focus on me, myself, and I. And how many of you know that's very limited? And not only does he want you to focus on yourself, but he wants you to focus on your circumstances. And he is brilliant at showing you how small you are and how insignificant you are and how big your problem is. He's a strategist. He's brilliant. He also wants you to focus on the natural realm. He wants us to focus on the limitations of life, our own talents, and our own lack of resources. Because he hates the reality that if you get a glimpse of God, a glimpse of your call, a glimpse of your purpose, that you might just rise up and believe, believe God and the purpose that God has got for you, and you might do something dangerous to him. Now, somebody get a little bit excited here today because I'm excited about it. He's brilliant. And this story, when you read it, and please go home and read the story. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Because when we read the story, all we focus on and what we see is we see David killing Goliath. But there were four things that David had to go through. There was four challenges because along the way, the devil was trying to trap him just like he traps us. He was, he was putting you know, traps in front of him to see if he would fall into those traps. Like I said, the devil's a great strategist. He knows how to entrap you. Here's the first one. We're going to talk about them. Let's put them up very quickly because I might not get through the message, but let's have a look very quickly. Can I have the next slide up? Is that the next slide? Okay, let's stop right there. There's four things. I'm going to tell you what they are very quickly. Number one is what you see. He, he targets and attacks you through these four things. Number one, through your vision, what you see. Number two, through what you hear. Number three, by what you think. And number four, by what you have. These are the four areas that he has done his homework in and he begins to, it just begins to erode away your faith very, very subtly and very smallly. He begins to step by step erode away your faith so you will come to a place where you will be faithless and you'll be full of fear. So let's look at the, one, the first one, what you see. You know, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 24, it says this, when the Israelites saw the man, the giant, they all ran from him in great fear. One of the great, you know, um, strategies of the enemy is to show you how big your problem is. How big your problem. How many of you can see this tall guy on the, in the photo? His name is Sultan Kozen. He is eight foot one inch in height. He's the tallest man in 
the well, 246 centimetres. The little fella, it is not a baby, but actually the little fella is two foot five inches and he was not the smallest man in the world. The smallest man in the world was actually, I think, one foot 11 inches. I couldn't get a photo of him. His name is He Ping Ping. He used to play ping pong. Anyway, he's He Ping Ping, two foot five inches. Now, this guy, they were both Turkish. I don't know what they feed him in Turkey. Don't have a clue what food they're on, what's, what's in the water. Not really sure. But there's obviously extremes. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, Sultan, I don't know what he ate, but it definitely made him grow. And he ping ping, we won't go there anyway. But if you look at this photo, and the reason I, I, I wanted us to see it, is the giant was actually over nine foot. The Bible says that the giant, let me just read it, says that Goliath was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale of armor, bronze weighing 5,000 shekels on his legs, and he wore bronze greaves. And a bronze javelin was flung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. In other words, the strategy, the intimidation, was this over nine-foot giant had a, a, an armor bearer who he himself must have been a strapping sort of looking guy who, uh, you know, stood against him. And most guys would have gone, man, look at his armor bearer. He looks like he could take us on. But look at this guy. Look how tall he is. So he was taller than the picture we've got on there of Sultan. Another foot. And that's one of the strategies of the enemy. The enemy will always, always try and overwhelm you and he will always make situations and circumstances look way bigger than you and make you feel like you are just a small, insignificant person that has no ability to actually take on this problem, this challenge. The Bible says, and I've read it before, 1 Samuel 17, 23, when the Israelites saw the man, they all ran in great fear. It's interesting when you read the Bible, there have been a few times that God has asked men with a purpose. Jeremiah was one of them. If you read Jeremiah 1, 11, it says this, that God says to Jeremiah, now the day uh, you know, that Jeremiah lived in, the people of Israel were not in a great place. They actually were in rebellion. The nation was not in a good place. And God says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, who was a prophet, who was supposed to speak to the people, he said, Jeremiah, what do you see? Interesting question. I want to ask you today, so what do you see about your problem? What do you see about the circumstances that you find yourself in? What do you see about those challenges that you think seem so impossible to overcome? I believe God asks us the question, what do we see? Do we see the giant or do we see what David said? Because you know what? See, David saw the giant too, but he had a different response. I think David saw the giant and said, he's so big, I can't miss him. But how many of us, if we're really honest, we face life? And this is not just positive thinking. This is because David had his relationship, his roots, dug deep into his faith, which were in Jesus Christ. God the Almighty, like we heard last week. 
So where is your faith? Because let me tell you, it's one of the strategies of the, of the enemy. Uh, you know, he will try and entrap you, and he is brilliant at always trying to make your situation and circumstances seem larger. We have a situation that we're going through at the moment, and if I'm honest, in the natural, it looks impossible. The giant looks huge. And you might ask, well, how are you going to get through this? Look, I don't have the details. I don't know how we're going to get through it. But I know one thing, that my God is bigger than that situation and that problem. What do you see? Here's the second one. What do you hear? If the devil can't get you, because this is the first thing. Think of it like a, a baseball field. I used to play, I played baseball for a year. It wasn't very good, but I played for a year. This is like, you know, if you can get to first base. David got to first base. He overcame what he saw. The children of Israel got struck out. They didn't even have a go at the giant. God wants us to have a go at our giants. Believe me, he wants us to overcome. The second base that he had to run to, the second thing is this that the Bible talks about, is what do you hear? Now, there's two worlds that I believe in. There's the external world and there's the internal world. This is what the Bible says. The giant would stand on the hill for 40 days. That's very significant. Uh, and this is what it says on 1 Samuel 17, 11. It says this, On hearing, listen to this, On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul, the king, and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified and ran. Now, this is not just the Israelites. They were looking to their king, but their king was also dismayed and terrified. Imagine around campfires during the night's the soldiers would say, the king does not look that confident. They would look to the king for, for strength and for confidence. But the king himself, Saul, was dismayed. He was terrified. You know, when David came to see his brothers because he came, he didn't come just to see the battle. He came out of obedience to his father. His father says, go and see how your brothers are doing. He had seven other brothers. He said, go and see how your brothers are doing. Go and give them, bring them some cheese and some bread. Interesting, do you know, if you're obedient to the little things, God will bring you to great places. David didn't go and one morning go, oh, I'm going to go kill a giant. David was just obedient to his father. It's a big lesson for us. Sometimes we want to do the big things, but it's in the little things that we find destiny. If you do the little things, the little things that seem insignificant, God will bring you to places that you can overcome and actually bring and come to your destiny. And so he came and he heard the giant's voice. He heard the challenge. The giant will say, give me a man who will come and fight me. And if he overcomes me, then we will surrender to you. But if I overcome him, then you must surrender to us. Give him to me. And he would boast about all his great victories. And he had the whole army dis dismayed. But why is it that David himself, you know, he got to base too. This did not faze him because his trust was in God. His faith was grounded and anchored in God. Can I say this? Faith comes by hearing, but so does fear. Did you know that fear comes by hearing? You'll be surprised how you can make people fearful. You can be surprised how you can talk someone out of their courage and their strength. That's why it's, it's, it's absolutely crucial that we become people that speak a different language. 
We need to become people that brings faith into people's situation. We need to speak a heavenly language. You need to be very careful with what you say. Your words are very, very powerful. Very powerful. You might sometimes not be aware, but your words could actually bring great fear into somebody's life. And I'm not talking about bringing false hope, but I want to tell you there's something far greater when you encourage someone than you bring them fear. And, you know, we live in a very, very fearful world today. Man alive, you know, you just have to listen to the reports from America and all the stuff that they're saying about Trump. I heard some, you know, Gem Wise saying, oh, no, the, the, you know, it's the end of the world. Now that Trump's in power, you know, he's going he's gonna to set off the atom bomb. People, please, let's have some common sense. We, we live in such fearful worlds. The media is brilliant at it. You just put, have to put on the news every night. And man, you, you, you go away thinking, we might as well, God, Jesus, come back. I want to tell you this, Jesus will come back when it's the right time and he's going to come back for a victorious bride. He's not going to come back for a bride that's in panic and in fear. So this enemy, he's, he was great at bringing fear. But it's not just the external voice that can take you out. You know, the New Zealanders, when they have rugby, they have the... What is it, the haka? Is, it, is, it, is that what you call it? And you know, when I used to see that, I used to get really angry. Because it's like the, the opposition team just stands there and has to take it. They're just going to sit there. And these guys, they're doing all these and they're yelling and they're doing all these motions and they are intimidating. So no wonder they're... I reckon they, they psych their, their opponent out before they even get there. I'm going to have a, a, a talk to the Italian coach and say, look, if they start that, we should be able to just go up to them, you know, and just whack them one in the head before the game. I mean, you know. But that's what the devil's like. He'll do the hucker to you. He'll hucker, hucker, hucker you until he'll psychologically, he will destroy any confidence and authority that you have. Because let me say this to you, that your, it's, the devil doesn't actually go for your authority, he goes for your confidence. If he can grab your confidence, he'll have your authority. So many of us struggle, and you'll be surprised. I want to tell you, one word can change a person's life. Depends on what comes out of your mouth. Now, this is called the external. This was the outer world. This was David's outer world. But there's a voice that's even more powerful, and it's got even more strength to take you out. And the devil's very subtle, he's very, he's very smart at how he sets this up. It's called your internal world, they're the internal voices of your life. And they've got to do with those that are really close to you. Um, you better come up here, because I didn't realize, I don't think I'm going to get these three, four points through. Are you all happy about that? Yeah, no one says anything great, okay, just do the hake, we'll be fine. So, there's an internal voice. And this internal voice is one that's even closer than your outer world because if you read the story on, David overcomes what he sees and he's not intimidated. Children of Israel, I mean. He hears the giant's voice and he's not intimidated. Actually, he says, what will be done for the man who kills him? Interesting. He was a smart young kid. He was full of passion and full of enthusiasm. He's full of God. And all of a sudden, his brother, his eldest brother, Eliab, has a go at him. The story is found in 1 Samuel 17, 28. And Eliab 
was really jealous of David because out of the the day when, if you read the story, you, you need to start reading the story about 1 Samuel chapter 13. Because the day came when the prophet Samuel came to anoint one of one of his fathers, I forget his dad's name now, Jesse. Should, I should remember, Jesse's your son. It's maybe why I looked at you. Samuel comes to Jesse and says, Jesse, God's brought me here. One of your sons is going to be the next king. I've come here to anoint you. So Jesse lines up all his sons, seven of them. And Eliab, who was the older brother, he stood tall and he looked like a king. They had to get ceremonially clean. They had to go and wash and clean and put on new garments. And here they were, all the seven of them paraded. And, and, he, and he gets them to kneel and he's about to, he feels that Eliab's the one. He's about to get the anointing oil. That's how you would, you would clarify a king or proclaim a king. About to put the anointing oil on him. And the Holy Spirit says, stop, he's not the man. Could you imagine the process? You know, here's Eliab. Neil, you're the man. He gets on his knees. He's about to anoint him with oil. He says, stop. Can you imagine the embarrassment of it? Could you imagine what it did to him? That's like, you know, sometimes I've been in places where they go, oh, Pastor Nick, we've got a seat. Can you come to the front? They'll come to the front. They're about to sit down. Say, oh, sorry, we've got it wrong. This is for someone else. Could you just sit three rows down? Boy, it tests your attitude, eh? Doesn't it? Boy, it does, you know, it does something to you. Oh, God's good at it. Like I've said before, he's brilliant at offending the mind to reveal your heart. And so what happens is it's not Eliab, it's not the next six. And, you know, Samuel's getting a little bit concerned. He goes, oh, man, what am I going to do? Because if this is wrong, if I've got it wrong, I get stoned. In those days, if you were a false prophet, if you prophesied wrong, you'd get killed. And he goes, hang on a minute. I know God's spoken. Have you got another son? They go, yeah, we do, but he's just, he's just a kid. He's, he's out watching the sheep. He says, go get him. So they went to get him, and he came, and he said, here's one. Here's the interesting thing. The guy didn't even go through the ceremonial cleansing. If you read the story, all the brothers had to wash, shave, clean, get new robes. In comes David, scruffy, off the, you know, off watching the sheep, and he says, kneel down, and I'm going to anoint you king. Why was that? It was because David's heart was pure. It's funny how sometimes we look at the outer, God looks at the inner. And now we find ourselves, and so David gets anointed king, and now we find ourselves in this battle, and what happens is, is that Eliab sees his brother come, and he sees him come to the battle, and this is what he says to him. Listen to this. Why have you come down here? This is his older brother. And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? Listen to the terminology, those few sheep out in the desert. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You only came down to watch the battle. There's the external voices, the voices of the giant, the circumstances that are yelling at us, but there's another voice called the inner voice that can really affect your life. It's those covenant relationships. It's those ministry relationships. It's those ones that are very close to you, those family members. Do you know, for years, for years, my father's voice was like that. For years, my dad would say things to me and would literally crush me. 
My dad didn't get saved for 34 years, and I used to always just long for him to say something positive. But I want to say this to you, that the, the day had to come where I had to realize that my father's voice was not the divining voice in my life. I wanted it to be, but I want to tell you there's a voice that's even stronger. It's the voice of Jesus Christ. And when it comes to faith, you need to be very careful. When you're about, when you're trying to, you know, move forward in the things of God, when you're trying to grab a hold of the purpose of God, when you're trying to grab a hold of everything that God has for you, let me tell you this, that you will be, the enemy will come and he will flood your mind. He will show you your circumstances are way greater, are way bigger than you can handle. He's going to show you every impossibility that he can. He's going to come and he's going to invade your ear gate. He's going to come and he's going to begin to speak and he's going to say, look at the impossibilities. And then he will even use people that you love, that you look up to, people that are in your, you know, your family, your inner world, to sometimes speak into your life and say things that could actually bring you down. We've all had that. It's very subtle, isn't it? Isn't it funny that David, when we read the story, we think about he's just about to kill a giant. No, no. He had to get from base one to base two. He was on a journey. There's traps that the enemy sets so that you will succumb to fear. And I've had to learn. I've had to learn that as a leader, as a Christian, that God wants me to live by faith. He wants me to trust Him. And I've become very aware of the traps that the enemy sets. You know, MTV, music television, took off in the 1970s and record sales went through the roof because of this very principle that they appealed to your eye gate and your ear gate. That when they put music to video, the appeal was so strong that it caused people to buy albums more than ever before because they understood the power of your eye gate and your ear gate. Your eye gate and your ear gate are the two things that take in most of the information. That's why it's important. Actually, when you read the Bible, this, the Bible says this, when Jesus was teaching, he said, he who has an eye, let him see, and he who has an ear, let him hear what the Word of God is saying. Because it's spiritual. These, these gateways to our life, they not only let natural things in, but they actually let spiritual things into our heart that affect the way we think and affect the way that we act. Now, I'm going to have to close here because it's 11.30. I've got to go and do a wedding. And most of you are going, Pastor Nick, we're hungry. I need some coffee. The other two, very quickly, are what you think and what you have. The devil always bring you to a place where you will always be attacked in your mind. If he doesn't attack your mind, he's going to attack your resources. What have you got? I've got nothing. You know, David, and I'll finish with this. The Philistine, if you go to slide four very quickly. The Philistine, when David came up to the battle, this is what he said. Am I a dog? This is the giant that you come at me with sticks and stones. Come here and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. This is the giant. I love David's spirit. 
I love his courage because his courage and his faith was not anchored as in, in his own strength. And let me say this. Do you know what? He'd been practicing with that slingshot. This doesn't mean that you just get lazy and you just sit back. and you do, That's not what faith is about. Faith is not about you just sitting back and going, you know what? God, you know, I've got God in my heart. God will fight for me. No, God wants you to be responsible for the talents and the purpose that he's put on your life. He needs you to do that. Let me tell you, David, he would be practicing. You realize that he had five stones. He hit the giant with one stone. That means he must have practiced a lot. So what I'm talking about, faith does not mean that you don't take responsibility for your life and the actions and, 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 and bringing to the forefront of the talents and the gifts that God has given you. You have to be responsible. But what faith is, is this. This is the way David answers him in 1 Samuel 17, 45. You come against me with a sword and a spear. Come on, stand to your feet for me. Would you do this? Stand to your feet. But I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. Come on, I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. Come on, give Him praise just for a moment. Would you do that? Come on, just give Him praise just for a moment. Come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. Last week, Charles talked about Almighty God. He's not just our Prince of Peace. He is Almighty God. And when your faith is grounded and your faith is anchored in Almighty God, let me tell you, the enemy has traps. He's going to take you out. He's going to make you see the problems bigger than you think. And if you can overcome that, you'll get to base two. He'll come and he'll begin to speak in your external world and your internal world. And if you can overcome that, he's going to try and attack your mind. He will come in and he will say to you, hey, look at you. You're just a boy. He will start to sow seeds of fear into your life. If he can get you past that, he's going to say, but look what you've got. You've just got some sticks. You're just coming to me with some sticks. But I want to tell you, friends, we need to be aware of the enemy's schemes. We need to be a people of faith and we need to know that our God is great. Our God is powerful. Our God is able. Our God is able to do more than we can even think or imagine. And some of you, you know, you've been battling with your faith. You know, with me, it's been, my wife knows, and she's most probably the only one that really knows the battle that I've had with fear. I grew up in such a negative, fearful environment. I've, I've, I've had to work through all four of these things. You might think I stand up here and I sound, you know, confident and everything like that. But I want to tell you, I've had to battle through. But now I know his schemes. I know how he works. And every time he tries to bring something like that, I remember this story. I want you to remember the story. I want you to go home and read this story. Get it into your spirit. Because God wants you to hit a home run. He wants you to hit a home run. He wants you to overcome. He wants you to be a person that lives by faith. He wants you to be a person that speaks faith. He wants you to be a person that when you meet somebody that's in a desperate situation, that you will speak faith into their heart and into their life and tell them about Jesus Christ. Can you give me an amen for that today? We're going to close. I believe that we're on a journey. I believe that we're here to build people's faith. Be a faith carrier of Jesus Christ. You know, every week, every week, without a shadow of a doubt, Greg knows sometimes, you know, to have a break, we go down 
DFO. And uh, he goes, well, what are we going for? I said, we're just going for a walk. You'll be amazed at how many people speak to us. And the question always comes up, you know, after they've, they've found out we're not going to buy anything, the question comes up, what do you do? And we're amazed at the conversation. You know what Greg said to me? He goes, you should become the chaplain. I think that'd be a fantastic idea. I'd love to be the chaplain of those, you know, storeholders. And this is what I find. There's always a negative story. And I want to be a carrier of the faith that I have in Jesus Christ. That I can say something that will turn somebody's day around saying, why are you different? We need people of faith. We're going to see God do some incredible miracles. We need to be people of faith. For a moment, just lift your hands towards heaven. The band just come up here. Father, today, with our hands lifted up, help us to see what you see. Help us to hear your voice and your voice alone. Father, help us to renew our mind with your word. Father, your word says we need to renew our minds on a daily basis. And Father, help us to understand that it's not what we hold in our hands that make us great, but it's what you have given us in our hands that make us great, that you are great. Lord, that people in the Bible had a staff and they had rocks and some of them, Lord, didn't even know what to do, but they knew that you were God the Almighty. Today, just as we close, two things. If you're facing a situation and a circumstance right now, why don't you lift not just your arms, but lift your head. Lift your head for a moment. Look towards heaven. That's where your help comes from. And say, God, thank you because you're changing my situation. God wants you to be a person of faith. Doesn't matter what you've walked through. Doesn't matter what your situation is. Choose today. Just like Joshua said, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose today to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Can I have every hand down just for a moment, every eye closed? We're going to do this every Sunday. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you've maybe put your own faith in fear or put your own faith in your own strength. And today, God is calling, He's tugging at your heart. And maybe you've never made a decision to give Him your life, to say, Jesus, you know, I've tried to trust myself. I've tried to trust my resources. I've tried to trust my circumstances. But today, I want to put my faith in You. I know that You sent Your Son to die for me on a cross so that I could be forgiven. I know that You've created me for a purpose. Today, I want to put my faith in you. If you want to do that today, if you want to become a Christian, would you put your hand up really high so I can see it? Would you do that right now? I'm just going to wait for a few moments. That's you. Just quickly put your hand up. There might not be anybody here, but I'm still going to give the opportunity. I want to do this every Sunday that we give the opportunity. Father, we thank you today that, Lord, we've put our faith in you that you are Jehovah Jireh, and we bless you in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen and amen. Pastor Greg, would you come up here? Would you do that? Give Pastor Greg a hand as he comes. Fantastic. Take your seats just for one moment. I'm going to give you an opportunity to uh, give towards um, Kimber and Matt Smith who are in Cambodia. So if you're unfamiliar, we actually support them. Um, through prayer. Um, I chat to them on Skype uh, every now and then. 
and also financially. So we're going to give right now towards our mission work, and I'm going to show you a short little clip. One of the reasons why we contribute to people who are working and serving is, you know, part of our strength as a local church is really we're, we're a family church. We have a lot of families with teenagers, young kids, and the work that Kimber and Matt are doing, it's really sort of twofold. They've got their own four children living on the field with them, and they're modelling a real-life faith to their own family. And, and money can't buy that. The other thing they're doing is they're working with kids that don't have families or have been sold by their families into awful situations. So can you please, we want to bless them this Christmas. Why don't you take um, either some cash out of your purse or your wallet. There's some giving cards in front of you. You can always actually also give online towards our mission. You just when you submit it online through our website, just note there it's for our mission work. I'm just going to show you a short little clip, a message from Matt and Kimbra to us as a church on video, and then we'll take up the offering. Welcome to Cambodia. Behind me is a tonly sap, and just here next to me is Matt. And my finger, sorry about that. <laughs> Bad camera work. Hey. Hey, guys. Uh, just thought we'd click your line to say g'day and... Uh, wanted to take this opportunity to say thank you for all your support and, and, and care that you have given us. We thoroughly enjoyed our time back in Melbourne when we were there, um, spending time. We felt uh, just blown away by uh, the generosity that you guys have shown us while we were in Melbourne visiting, uh, and we just love that uh, heart of you guys. So since we got back, we've been working with an uh, organisation called Hard Places, Filling in a role where um, where we're able to connect between social workers and investigation teams of, of stories and cases of young children from the streets of uh, Cambodia's Riverside um, and uh, their experiences that they're, they're facing every day. These kids are ranging from uh, the ages of four to about 13 or 14 years old, both boys and girls. Um, yeah, mainly, mainly street kids uh, from the Riverside here was approached by a pastor here who, who runs an organisation and uh, he works along the slums of, of the train lines here in Tuakort. Um, he is running a prevention program through education and schooling and also planning small home churches throughout these communities uh, trying to make a difference in this kind of way, which has really spoken to me uh, currently and uh, he's asked me to kind of come on board and just basically partner with him. So. We've just kind of been prayerful, I've been prayerfully going about this, uh, waiting and, and looking for some confirmation. And yeah, I love you guys. Uh, a big thank you for uh, Nick and, and all you guys. We just love you. And uh, we can't wait to get back there and see you all again. And anything about? Oh, yeah. Oh, come on. Western Bulldogs, 2017. <laughs> He's obviously a man of faith thinks the Bulldog's going to do it twice in a row. They're doing incredible work, really. I mean, what, how can you put a monetary value on helping children from abusive situations, living in slums on the streets? You just can't put a figure on that. So why don't we stand together? We're going to pray for them and their ministry. Then we're going to give to the Lord as we sing a final song. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for Matt, Kimbra, their kids, Lord. Their, the fact that they're sacrificially serving you in Cambodia and their work in Phnom Penh, just thinking of what Matt shared with what he's doing with the ministry called Hard Places, working with young boys 
And also the other pastors, the local Cambodian pastors that are looking for his help, working in the slums along the train line right there in Phnom Penh. So, Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to be over them, to, be, to really use them as a vessel to bring light and revelation and resurrection into the lives of those kids, those families, those churches that they've connected into. And Father, we pray that you bless them abundantly, protect them, Lord, as they serve you. And this little offering that we're giving right now, Lord, I pray that it would really reach into their hearts and serve them in a practical way. And everybody said, amen. Just pick up the containers on your left, pass them along the roads. Through you, I can do anything.